Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Mark, wake up. My wife's anxious tone cut into my dream and her trembling hand on my shoulder peeled back the layers of sleep that covered my mind. I rolled onto my back, still not quite sure if her voice had been a part of my dream. Hmm? I grunted. I think someone's trying to get into the house, she whispered. Those words uttered in the dead of night will activate anyone and I am no exception. My blurry vision turned crystal clear as all my senses came online. What? Who? I asked. I'm not sure, but I keep hearing noises, and I thought I just heard a voice outside our window. First, I checked the time on my alarm clock. We had heavy blackout curtains in the bedroom, and it could be hard to tell when the sun was up. I hoped, even prayed, it was late and she had just heard the meter man walking by but my alarm clock displayed 303 in bright red digital numbers. There was no honest reason for anyone to be on our property at that time. I sat up and listened to myself. I kept detecting small sounds, rustling, shifting sorts of noises, but I couldn't tell if my brain was just filling in what I thought my wife might have heard. I certainly didn't hear any voices. Stay here, I said as I swung my legs over the side of the bed. I'll go check on the kids and take a peek outside. I didn't do the obvious thing and peek through the curtains. In the moment, I told myself it was because there probably wasn't anything outside and my wife had just overheard one of our night owl teenagers talking to a friend on the phone or playing video games. In hindsight, I think I just wasn't ready to confront whatever might have been on the other side of that curtain yet. I left the bedroom and entered our hallway. When I flipped the light switch, nothing happened. I clicked it up and down again, but was still left in the dark. I peeked back into our bedroom and looked at my glowing alarm clock. Sure enough, the tiny circle light in the upper left corner that indicated the clock was operating on battery power was glowing. Hey Michelle, I whispered, the power's out. You might have just heard the electric company outside. Will you please just check? She asked. Hang on, let me check on the kids first. Oh, for crying out loud, Michelle said. She tossed the covers off and got out of bed. Shaking her head at me, she stormed over to the window, pulled back the curtain, and screamed. She stumbled backwards, mumbling gibberish and pointing at the window. I rushed to her side. What is it? I demanded, no longer whispering. They're out there was the only phrase I caught out of her stream of syllables. The curtain hadn't fallen all the way back into place. A sliver of window was left exposed and glowed dimly in the bluish moonlight. 
I forced Michelle to sit on the bed and went to the window myself. I pressed myself against the wall and turned my head to peer through the exposed glass. I could see about a dozen of them, but I knew there were more. They all wore hooded, black cloaks and were standing shoulder to shoulder with one another. I couldn't make out any of their faces with the moon behind them. It shone against their hoods, creating demonic halos. Call 911, I told Michelle. She nodded vigorously and crawled over the bed to her nightstand. It's not here, she cried. Your phone? Just use mine, I ordered. She crawled over to my nightstand and made a muted sound that told me as clearly as any words could that my phone was also missing. What the hell? I plugged it in there like I do every night, I said. Honey, stay here. I'm going to check on the kids and see if one of them can call the police. Don't leave me, she begged. I would have told her to come with me, but I needed her to stay where she was. Our bedroom was far from any exterior doors and has a lock, so I knew she would be safe in there for the time being. Until I had a better grasp on the situation, I didn't want to worry about her safety as well as my own. Stay here, I repeated. After leaving the bedroom, I checked the windows on all sides of the house. We were completely surrounded. The cloaked figures formed a circle around us. They each stood perfectly still and faceless out there in the night. I grabbed a flashlight out of a drawer in the kitchen. Our children's rooms were in the basement, so I made my way downstairs, realizing with dreadful regret that the basement would probably be safer for my wife given that it didn't have any windows. I decided I would bring her down once the police were on the way. Before checking my son's room, I stopped at the breaker box to check the fuses. They all looked normal, but I flipped a few anyway to no avail. The problem with the electricity must have been something outside. I went to my son's room next and knocked on the door. I didn't wait for his answer before turning the knob myself. I shone the flashlight on him and he squinted as he started to sit up. Who is that? Who's there? He asked. It's me, Kale. Get up, I told him. What's going on? I didn't answer, instead asking, where's your phone? Kale sniffed hard and rubbed his eyes, then reached on top of the dresser next to his bed. He patted his hand around for a few seconds, then stood. I shone the flashlight at the dresser to help him out, but his phone wasn't there. Kale pointed to the charging cable laying limp on the floor. Where is it? He asked. I need you to follow me, I said. Your mom and I's phones are missing too, and there's strange people outside. We don't know what's going on. Wait, what? Just follow me. Kale and I walked across the basement to his sister, Alyssa's room. I knocked hurriedly, but was interrupted by Kale tugging at the back of my shirt. I shrugged him off, but turned towards him anyway. Dad, look, he said. He was pointing at the door I had just knocked on. I aligned the flashlight's beam with his pointed finger and saw what he wanted me to. I hadn't seen it before because I had been so focused on getting to Alyssa. There was a sort of symbol painted on her door with a tar-black, tacky substance. It had a strange, musty, sort of herbal smell. What the hell is this? I asked as I lightly touched the substance. It came off on my finger, wet and sticky. I took a couple of steps back to expand the halo of light on the door and take the whole symbol in at once. It was comprised of three even semicircles or crescents, all intersecting each other. It looked like a horned wreath. 
Why would she do that? Kale asked. I'm not sure if she did, I answered. The missing phones, the freshly painted symbol, all of it was leading me to believe, in addition to the strange group outside, someone had gotten in to the house. My stomach sank as I tried to remember if I had locked the doors before going to sleep. I was usually pretty good about keeping them locked at all times, but I hadn't checked them. It was entirely possible one had been left unlocked while we all went to sleep. Alyssa? I shouted. I pounded on her door again and then tried the knob. Her door was locked. I hoped it had been locked when the symbol painter had stopped by. Alyssa, open up. I need to know you're safe. Oh my god, Michelle, I thought. I had left her up there alone, and whoever had gotten in was probably up there too. Unless they were in Alyssa's room. I couldn't wait any longer. I told Kale to stand back as I gave the door a solid kick just below the doorknob. It broke open, swung in, and slammed against the doorstop. I heard Alyssa scream, No! I shone the flashlight into the room, illuminating her. She was standing next to her desk, wearing all black as usual. All of our phones were laying on the desk beside her, smashed and bent. A large decorative rock was still in her hand. All the energy my protective impulses had given me was diverted into anger. What the hell is going on? I demanded. Alyssa just stared back at me with hate in her shadow-rimmed eyes. We had been having some behavioral problems with her lately. She had been coming home late, not answering texts or phone calls appropriately, and being generally secretive. Michelle and I had both thought there was a romantic partner involved in the sudden lapse in obedience. But now I wondered if something much more dangerous had been at play the whole time. Alyssa, please, this is not a joke, okay? This is real. There are dozens of strange people outside the house right now. I don't know what they want with us, but you need to tell us what's happening, because you're in just as much danger as the rest of us. No, I'm not, Alyssa said smugly. Her dark makeup made her eyes so intense I almost couldn't see my daughter in them. The girl standing before me looked familiar, but felt entirely foreign. I marked my door so they know who to spare, she said. Who to... Alyssa, are those people here to kill us? I demanded. I suddenly thought of Michelle upstairs alone again. Alyssa didn't answer, but her sinister smile told me everything I needed to know. I realized she wasn't going to offer any help and made the impossible decision to leave her there so I could protect the rest of my family. Come on, Kale. We need to get to your mom, I said. Alyssa, whatever we did to deserve this, I'm sorry, but this is completely insane. She said nothing, so I gave Kale a little push and we left. We need to hurry, I said as my son and I ran upstairs. She broke our phone so we can't call for help and those people are on every side of the house so we can't leave. We need to get to your mom and find somewhere to hide. We're not going to do something? Kale asked. I didn't answer. I didn't feel like repeating the weak plan aloud. I knew it was pathetic, but I wasn't sure what else to do. I thought maybe there was a chance the people outside would decide scaring us was enough and leave us alone if they couldn't find us. We found Michelle crying in the bedroom. When she asked where Alyssa was, I just told her Alyssa was fine and wouldn't come out of her room. If I had told her the entire truth, she would have gone downstairs to try to reason with the girl which I knew would be fruitless and probably dangerous. We've got to go up to the attic, I said. If they come inside, I'll sit on top of the door. They won't be able to get to us. Kale, 
Go get a chair from the kitchen. Kale obeyed and I opened the bedroom closet. A small scuttle door was situated above the shelf where Michelle kept her nice shoes. They're getting closer, Michelle whimpered. She was peeking through the curtain again. I tossed the flashlight on the bed and looked out into the yard with her. The ring of strangers was closing in around the house. Stay here, I said. Stop leaving me, Michelle cried as I ran out of the room. I passed Kale, bringing a chair down the hall. Help your mom get into the attic. I'll be right there, I said. Moving as fast as I could in the dark, I went to the garage door, then the front, to make sure each was locked. Finally, I went to the sliding glass door that led to the back patio. I pulled back the curtain to reach the latch and froze. One of the black figures was standing on the patio, just outside the door. Even up close, I couldn't see the person's face, but I could feel their eyes upon me. We stood like that until I worked up the courage to move again. The figure's head slowly turned away from me and towards the patio furniture. Predicting what was going to happen next, I ran back to the bedroom. Michelle's legs had just disappeared through the scuttle door, and Kale was still standing on the chair. Go, 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 I shouted. They're coming in. As if on cue, we heard the sound of shattering glass and a metal chair tumbling across the kitchen floor. Kale reached up and jumped off the chair, pulling himself into the attic. I frantically tried to think of a way to hide the chair and close the door to make it less obvious where we had gone. Dad, come on, Kale whispered from above. What about Alyssa? Michelle whimpered. What about Alyssa? Now that someone had actually gotten into the house, I felt horrible about leaving her down in the basement with nothing but that broken door to protect her. She had implied the hooded people were on her side, but how did she know for sure? What if she was wrong about them? Kale, catch, I said, tossing the flashlight up to him. I want you to close that door and sit on it. Both of you, if you'll fit. Dad, what are you doing? I've got to help your sister. Dad, sit on the door. With this final, repeated command, I slid the closet door shut, then picked up the chair and put it in the corner furthest from the closet. As quietly as possible, I opened the door and peered down the black hallway. I could hear someone in the house, but they sounded too far away to see me in the dark. I clicked the lock in place before shutting the bedroom door, locking myself and anyone else out of the room. I crept a little further down the hall and did the same to the bathroom door. I figured the more locked doors the strangers came across, the longer it would take them to find my family. I heard another lock click across the house. Based on where the sound came from, I figured the intruder was unlocking the front door to let the others in. If I moved quickly, I knew I could get through the kitchen and maybe all the way to the basement stairs while the intruder was on the other side of the dividing wall that separated the living room from the rest of the upstairs. Thankful for our carpeted floors, I padded as quickly as I dared into the kitchen. My assumption about the intruder's location was correct, and by some miracle, he or she was the only one who had entered through the patio door. They were being so slow and methodical. They knew they had us trapped. And I'm guessing Alyssa had told them our phones would be disabled. I also had a creeping hunch that they had done this before. I heard the front door hinges squeal and hurried to the stairs before more intruders entered my home. Once downstairs, I ran to Alyssa's bedroom. She had shut the door again, 
although it wouldn't stay flush with the doorframe after I had kicked it in. Alyssa, I whispered. They're inside. Are you safe? To my complete surprise, the door swung open, and Alyssa grabbed my shirt to pull me in. She quickly shut the door again, and I couldn't see her well, but I heard her sniffle wetly and realized she was crying. Daddy, I'm sorry, she said. I didn't think... It, it just seemed like a game. But then I heard the glass break, and, and I... I pushed her away and demanded, Who are these people? My coven, she said. I was complaining about things online, and these people found me. They said they could take me away and teach me magic. Magic? It sounds dumb, I know, but they didn't make it sound that way. They made it seem so fascinating and powerful. Alyssa, I need you to tell me exactly what these people are here to do. She collected herself, taking a few deep, shuddering breaths, before finally saying, The mark on the door is so they know who I am. They're supposed to leave me alone and... and kill the rest of you. I'm so sorry, Dad. It didn't seem real until now. I didn't think they would actually go through with it. We'll deal with that later, but right now we have to figure out how to survive this. Can you call them off? I asked. I don't think so. Maybe. They'll be angry, though. I'm not sure what they'll do. Some of them came from really far away for this ritual. I thought about this for some time. On one hand, my wife and son were currently cowering in the attic as these self-proclaimed witches were searching the house. I could hear them upstairs turning over furniture, knocking things off the wall, shattering lamps and vases. How long before they found the scuttle door? And then how long before they managed to push Kale and Michelle off of it and get inside? On the other hand, I couldn't bear to send my daughter out to face these murderers even if it was her fault they were in our house in the first place. How many are there, Dad? Alyssa asked. A lot, I replied. Way too many to fight. Through the wall, I heard the sound of Kale's bedroom door being opened. The intruders were downstairs with us now. Alyssa tugged at my sleeve and pulled me into her closet. I whispered, I thought they were supposed to leave your room alone. Why are we hiding? Just in case, she replied. It's dark out there. What if one of them doesn't see the symbol? The sounds from Kale's room grew louder and more chaotic. I heard fabric tearing, drawers hitting the floor as their contents scattered. There was an aggression to the sounds that didn't match the slow, methodical pace with which the intruders had entered the house. They were growing frustrated and desperate. How long before they came to Alyssa's room and found the door unlocked? Not long at all, it would turn out. I heard their mumbling voices outside after the sounds in Kale's room ceased. After what sounded like a heated debate, one of them said, What if she's changed her mind and she's hiding them? The other... A woman replied, then she can burn with them. And the door creaked open. Footsteps padded on the carpet on the other side of the closet door. There were at least two of them out there. Maybe more. Hazel, where are you? The woman asked. We've come for you. Alyssa, or Hazel as she was apparently known to her new community, put a finger on my lips and before I could react... She slipped through the closet door. I'm here. Is it done? She asked. My heart hammered in my chest. This was the moment I had been trying to avoid. 
my daughter facing these strangers alone without any protection. They aren't here, unless you're hiding them. Are you still one of us? Of course, Alyssa replied. I would never disobey the will. They must have escaped. Impossible. We had the house surrounded. Wherever they are, it doesn't matter, the second voice said. You will still come with us. If your family comes looking for you, we can deal with them then. Yes, all right, Alyssa agreed to my horror. I instinctively reached for the closet door to try and stop her, but thoughts of my wife and son quickly shut me down. It didn't sound like these people were going to hurt Alyssa, but if they didn't leave the house soon, they would eventually find and kill the rest of us. I had to push down my anger and desperation, fight off my fear, and just resolve to find Alyssa wherever the so-called coven was going to take her. I waited for a few minutes after the sounds outside the closet and upstairs had ceased before slowly creeping out of Alyssa's room and up the stairs. I checked every window I passed, hoping to catch a glimpse of one of the hooded figures to see which direction they had gone, but they had all disappeared quickly into the night. Michelle was inconsolable when I told her what had happened. I promised I would stop at nothing to find our daughter and bring her home. Kale's stone-cold expression told me he would fight right alongside me to make that happen. As I comforted my wife, I heard a sound out in the hall. I spun around and stumbled back when I saw a tall, hooded figure standing in the doorway. They're in here, the man shouted. They appeared from everywhere at once. They showed up in the windows. They filled the hallway. One of them even stepped out of the closet right next to where I had just helped Michelle and Kale come down. Another appeared in the doorway, dragging Alyssa behind him. She had been gagged and had her hands tied behind her back. The figure holding her shoved her into the room. If you love your blood family so much, you can die with them, he said. Yet another figure came through the door with an hourglass-shaped container. She walked around us pouring the liquid in a circle. The sweet aroma told me it was gasoline. The first figure who had appeared to block the doorway produced an ornate lighter from his robes and stepped forward. Without a thought, I put my cupped hand in the gas on the floor and flung some towards the man with the lighter. I still can't believe it worked. At least a couple of droplets hit the small flame and ignited the man's robes. He turned in shock and lit up the woman next to him. They both struggled to remove their burning robes, and a third person jumped in to help. The fire caught on his robes, too. The rest of the group fell into panic. I could hear their footsteps running throughout the house and their terrified voices shouting outside. Come on, I shouted to my family. I ran to the bedroom window, pulled the curtain so hard I broke the curtain rod and threw the window open. I used the chair Michelle and Kale had used to get in the attic to break out the screen, and I made sure my family got out safely before I, too, exited through the window. Fortunately, the people outside were just as panicked as those inside and didn't try to stop us as we ran away. We ran until we could run no further. By the time the emergency crews got to our house, it had almost entirely burned down. There were six unidentified people dead inside. The rest had vanished. 
Michelle, Kale, and I all agreed to protect Alyssa when the police questioned us. All four of us claimed to have no idea why those people had targeted our house, but we knew. And unfortunately, most of them had survived. We live in a new house now, somewhere far from our old one. But like Alyssa said, some of those people came from far away the first time. We just have to pray they don't find us again. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.